Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Conversations with Cal. On today's conversation, we are going to be chatting all things mental health. I catch up with Robbie Fox, who is the ambassador for the Black Dog Institute, and we're also going to be talking to Dr. Jill Newby, who is the Associate Professor of Psychology for the University of New South Wales. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger or psychological distress, contact the following crisis services. Emergency 000, Lifeline 131114, Kids Helpline 1800 55 1800, Men's Line 1300 789978, Suicide Callback Service 1300 659 467. Thanks guys and I hope you enjoy the chat. You're listening to Conversations with Cal, the official podcast of the Sydney Swans. That's right. Welcome back to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm super excited to have a chat with these two individuals. But first of all, I'm going to introduce our first guest today. He's an ambassador for the Black Dog Institute. He's a pretty handy footballer as well. He, uh, he's a high-flying uh, high flying half-forward, wingman, half-back, takes screamers. He smashes the time trials all the time at the club. Robbie Fox, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dylan. Uh, intro there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> mate, um... We're not going to be talking too much about football today. We're going to be having a chat about all things mental health and particularly with what's going on in the world at the moment. It seems like a pretty relevant topic to talk about. Um, could you maybe, you're obviously playing with us at the Swans and through your role there, you've got an ambassadorship with the Black Dog Institute. Can you talk to us about what is the Black Dog Institute? Yep. Um, so the Black Dog Institute is um, basically um, dedicated to understanding, preventing and um, treating mental illness. Um, it's a research institute that aims to reduce the incidence of mental illness um, and you know, the stigma that comes around it. Um, and it's just trying to reduce suicide rates and empower everyone to live their most uh, mentally healthy lives. Mate, and, and you've, uh, under that ambassador role, I'd, I'd be curious to know kind of what exactly you guys do. I think there's a few boys that are in it, and you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jordan Dawson, Sammy Naismith, and and yourself? Yep, yep, us three. Yep. Um, so as an ambassador, um, we help present mentally fit workshops. Um, we do this um, with school kids, and we do it via webinar. So I think last year we did about 4,000 students. Um, um, logged into our, um, our webinars. Um, so we just basically talk about how, how to build skills um, to become mentally fit. So myself, Jordan and Sam, we, we share strategies and we practice mindfulness and gratitude um, with them in class. Um, we take them through steps of how to meditate, um, what what's um, being mentally fit um, looks like, um, why mentally fit helps us. Um, so we, we sort of talk about how mentally being mentally fit helps us to focus, um, makes us have better relationships, um, turns those negatives into positives, um, especially times like now. Um, if you can try and turn those little negatives into positives, um, it's very valuable. I think it's pretty important because I think, and you definitely agree, particularly as as an AFL player or professional athlete, you tend to go through a fair few ups and downs. And it's a pretty rocky road playing um, playing professional sport. And I guess the mental health side of things has really um, stepped up, particularly you know since you and me have been drafted into the system. But I guess I'd probably want to know, you know, why is 
mental health important to you and, you know, what kind of inspired you to take this kind of ambassador role? Um, yeah, it's always, I think it's always been important um, to me. Um, growing up, I was always an emotional kid. Um, I think when you see it firsthand and loved ones, you know, I, I think it really got to me. I struggled with it. So it wouldn't matter if it was like depression in an older person or, you know, someone in their 50s struggling or a kid getting bullied at school. Um, it always sort of got to me. So, you know, when this role of the black dog sort of come up, um, I sort of jumped on it thinking, you know, it'd be great to share to kids that, you know, everyone has their bad days, their bad thoughts going down, but um, don't be embarrassed to talk about it. Um, just, yeah, really break that stigma because you don't realise how many people want to help you until you start talking about it. Uh, and we do have a lot of kids listen to this show and particularly playing, I, I touched on it a little bit before, but, you know, playing professional sport, um, well, any career really, you're going to go, and, and if, particularly if you want to be successful in that career, you're going to experience a lot of ups and downs, a lot of hardships, a lot of setback, um, a lot of setbacks. Could you maybe talk about, you know, the challenges that, you know, you're faced in regards to, you know, playing professional sport and, and, and keeping your mental health uh, in check? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, playing AFL, there's a lot of stresses. Um, you know, you have the media, you have um, your form, um, your coaches, um you know, everyday ups and downs of training. Um, so I think if you look, for me anyway, if I look too too far in the future, um, you know, it's, it's great to set goals and everything, but um, if I look too far in the future, you know, my first goal was to get drafted, tick that off, done, what's next? Next game, next goal is to um, play an AFL game, done, what's next? So I was never, I was never happy where, where I was. Um, in a sporting sense, that's, it's good to set goals, but um, in a mental health set um, setting, um, I think my headspace really struggled. Um, I was never really in the present. Um, I was always thinking in the future, and what, because I was thinking so far in the future, um, it gave me a lot of anxiety and stresses. So um, for me, just to uh, be in the present really helped me. So you know, meditating or focusing on what I was going to do each day with um, note taking or you know. Um, a set routine or daily focus points and by focusing on it each day if it was um, having a coffee with a mate or focusing on a meeting with a coach um, it took a lot of those stresses away and um, I found when I took a lot of those stresses away um, I played my best footy. So it sounds like you've adopted you know a handful of you know uh, wellness or well-being practices that have suited to you you've spoken about the the meditation mindfulness stuff maybe some journaling, some connection of relationships. Would, would I be right in saying those are the, the three or four things that have um, that are kind of helping you? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's different for everyone. You know, some people just need to go to the beach and go for a surf or go for a walk. But for me, um, I like routine and I like everything down on the paper. So it's not in my head. So, yeah, um, you're right. Those three really help me. All right, mate, I need your assistance here. We've got a very, very special guest now. I have... Um, I have done some research on Jill, and I'm not going to lie, her academic career uh, took up about half the internet. So she's a very, very skilled <laughs> and very uh, intelligent woman. Uh, can we please welcome to the podcast special guest? Now, I've got a little, um, a fun little thing here, Jill. Uh, I've got a new podcast um, kit. So when I introduce you, I'm going to play a nice. Uh, Oh, I can't play the sound effect because I haven't set it up. Anyway, I had a fun, you know, clapping sound effect for you when you come in. So, <laughs> anyway, um, 
welcome our special guest, Associate Professor from the University of New South Wales School of Psychology, Dr. Jill Newby. Thanks, Jill, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Now, I have uh, touched on, uh, I've done a little bit of research about your um, about your experience in the mental health uh, industry, and I don't think there was enough... Um, there was enough uh, enough room on the internet. It seems like you've absolutely gone to town on, on all your study and things like that. You've got uh, an undergraduate uh, health psychology, a postgraduate in experimental and clinical psychology, professional and ethical practice. And uh, your research areas um, uh, are paragraphs and paragraphs long. So we're very, very lucky to have you um, on board today to discuss all things mental health. Thanks. It's good to be here. I was hoping that you might um, sing the welcoming um, clapping or something like that. That'd be good. <laughs> I promise <laughs> I'll get it done next time. That goes down to um, Robbie's lack of preparation. Now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah, all good. Look, we'll get stuck into it, Jill. Um, there's a fair bit happening on in the world right now, and maybe you could just touch on a little bit about your role um, not only at the Black Dog Institute but what you do at the um, University of, of New South Wales? Yeah, so I'm mainly located at the Black Dog Institute and I'm a researcher. So I run a research program into developing new, um, mainly digital mental health treatments to help people with anxiety and depression self-manage their symptoms. Um, so we do a bunch of different research projects to try and help people. Um, and the other part of the work that I've been doing more recently is trying to transform what we know from the science um, to make it more widely available. So writing some fact sheets and some other information out there for the community about the things that they can do to stay mentally healthy during this challenging time. One thing I think that's very interesting, and I think, Robbie, you could probably agree, the the stigma of mental health um, anxiety, stress and, and dealing with um, with uh, your personal issues. It seems to be kind of um, getting better and better every year. You might have a difference of opinion, but in our industry, we can kind of see that um, a lot of players are coming out and talking about their mental health and, and their struggles. And it's really inspiring to, um, to not only other players, but I'm sure a lot of um, people throughout the community and particularly kids. But could you maybe explain to us actually what is anxiety? Yeah, anxiety is different to different people. So um, when people feel anxious, um, they can get symptoms in their body. So physical symptoms, they might get like increased heart rate or just feel really overwhelmed. Um, in their mind, they start to worry about the future, like Robbie was saying before, um, thinking really far in the future, often thinking about worst case scenarios, like all the worst things that might happen, worrying a lot, um, underestimating their ability to cope. Um, and then there's also the feelings. So they might feel a sense of doom or dread or um, feeling generally stressed or overwhelmed. Um, and then there's the behaviours. So people can often avoid situations that they fear when they're feeling anxious. They might completely try and avoid thinking about the things that they're worried about. Um, they might even use like drugs or alcohol or um, eating to cope. Um, and those things can sort of... Um, make things might feel better in the in the short term but they make things worse in the long term is is anxiety is anxiety something that you're um because i believe we've all got some sort of form of anxiety you know in our lives but is it something that you're diagnosed with that you go to the doctor and your doctor says to you oh, i think i'm going to diagnose you with with anxiety like is, is that what it is or is it more just kind of a, a mental state i guess 
Um, I think there's a difference between feeling anxious or feeling stressed versus an anxiety disorder. So sometimes a lot of people at the moment are feeling anxious and stressed um, and that's a temporary feeling. So they might feel more anxious than usual and actually be a bit freaked out by that feeling. Um, but that doesn't mean you've got an anxiety disorder. So the feeling is something that will usually pass. For people with an anxiety disorder, then there's a range of different criteria that they would need to meet that the doctor would work with them to see if they do meet those criteria. So, um, for example, someone um, with generalised anxiety will worry a lot about a range of different things. They might be worried about COVID-19, but also their family, the health of loved ones, their finances, um, and find those worries really uncontrollable. Um, but the, in addition to that, then those worries and the anxiety they're feeling will impact on day-to-day -day functioning. So it's not just a temporary feeling that people are experiencing. It's when anxiety is lasting for a long time, when it's getting in the way of the things that they need to do, um, and when it's really impairing. And that, um, depending on whether someone meets a criteria for an anxiety disorder, then that would um, be worked through with the GP or a psychiatrist or a psychologist to see whether you meet those criteria and whether further treatment's required. Uh, one thing that uh, in terms of, you know, mental health, you know, I've been chained to Robbie a little bit. Now, Robbie's actually in Tasmania at the moment. Uh, I'm sure you know, Jill, where we've been... Um, uh, had our season shut down for a little bit of a period and Robbie's obviously um, spending 14 days in isolation so he does have plenty of time on his hands to have a chat to us today which we're very very uh, grateful for but um, you actually um, wrote an article um, around illness anxiety disorder and I guess what I'm talking about here is um, you'll be, be um, the, the better person to talk to about this but maybe could you talk to us about what actually is illness anxiety uh, disorder and I think it's particularly relevant considering what we're going through at the moment as a society with COVID-19. Yeah so I suppose it again goes back to that difference between the feeling of anxiety or the worries about illness versus a disorder. So I think a lot of people um, and this is what we're finding in um, a research study that I'm doing at the moment trying to look at the mental health impacts of COVID-19 um, with Black Dog Institute. What we're finding is that people some people are very worried that they might um, develop COVID-19, um, but they're often more worried about spreading it to other people or worried about their family and friends. Um, so just because people are worried about contracting the illness or um, spreading it to others, it doesn't mean they're necessarily like disordered. Um, it's not pathological or not abnormal. Um, it's actually quite normal and understandable to feel like that at the moment. Now, illness anxiety disorder is um, a particular type of anxiety problem where people will worry excessively about um, maybe one or many different illnesses. Um, and those worries will persist for a long time, so often up to six months or longer. Um, and then they do things like excessively. So they might um, search Dr. Google too much, like spend hours on Dr. Google checking their symptoms. Um, they might obsessively check their body for signs and symptoms of illness. Um, they might seek a lot of reassurance from other people about symptoms or marks on their body or other things that they're noticing. Um, and then they'll avoid situations that remind them of illness. So any of those one thing, um, any of, each of those things don't necessarily mean you've got illness anxiety disorder. It might just mean you're feeling a bit more anxious about your health at the moment. Um, and I know that a lot of people um, 
have spoken to me about having a little bit of a cough and then worrying that maybe it's COVID-19 or <laughs> um, checking the internet a bit more than usual or talking about the like a lot of conversations around COVID-19 and, oh, maybe you've got coronavirus, maybe you've got coronavirus, but that doesn't mean you've got illness anxiety disorder. It just means that you're just normally anxious at the moment. Well, Robbie, you're you're dealing, like I just said before, with 14 days of isolation because you have crossed the Tasmania border. Um, what Jill has spoken about with the media pressure, excessive Googling, online symptoms, you've got plenty of time on your hands at the moment. Have you kind of found yourself kind of doing that? Um, I think I did my first day. My first day I just woke up, didn't set an alarm, um, sat around, and when you just sit around doing nothing, uh, that's when your mind wanders, you get on the internet, you start looking for things. But um, after that, Again, I just got back into a routine. You know, I woke up at 8 o'clock or, sorry, had my schedule start at 8, um, had a little whiteboard, write down everything I'm going to do in the day, um, start a uni assignments, um, do a bit more research and business courses. It's little things that um, made my day have a bit of a structure. Um, so when my day had a structure, again, my mind wouldn't wander. So after day one, um, I've been doing pretty well. So, Jill, you've, uh, this will actually lead in very well to the next thing I want to um, have a chat about is that you, you wrote an article for the Sydney Morning Herald um, saying some anxiety can be helpful, how to, manage, um, how to manage your COVID-19 fears. Now, we're all guilty of um, the excessive Googling, the media pressure, and particularly with social media, it's constantly in your face. And the news, the news 24-7 is just, you know, bombarding us all full of information. Um, could we maybe discuss your article about maybe and maybe some top tips for how to manage your COVID-19 fears? Yeah, sure. So what I meant by that, um, the title is that when I've looked at the research in past pandemics, what that research has shown, including our own, is that when people are feeling a little bit more anxious, it's it's a little bit useful because they tend to do the things that are keeping themselves and other people safe. So more anxiety not necessarily to a huge degree, but a bit of anxiety helps people remind themselves to wash their hands and stay away from other people and stay at home when they're sick um, or when they need to isolate. So that's what I meant by some anxiety can be helpful in these times. Um, it's actually pr- quite productive. But if the anxiety is getting a bit too much, so um, you know, limiting exposure to media and conversations around coronavirus can be helpful. I know it's not... Um, it's not super practical to completely avoid media or social media or conversations around this. Otherwise, like, what else are we going to watch? Um, but what what I've done myself um, and what other people have done is trying to limit your exposure to media to, like, a couple of times a day. So rather than having it all in the background, rather than checking your phone all the time, reading the news, watching the news or being on social media, I've limited it to maybe twice or three times a day um, in short amounts of time. Um, so limiting your exposure to media can be helpful because I don't think we're, we realise what type of impact um, just constant exposure to media can have on our emotional health. Like it can just, even just hearing the words like panic and crisis and um, thing, you know, the economy collapsing, all those sorts of words are really alarming um, and they, they just sort of make you feel a background of anxiety um so trying to limit that can be very helpful um and trying to do some other things that are like are productive and off the topic of coronavirus can be really helpful so like robbie was saying you know after that first day of um, being preoccupied with coronavirus the next day he set aside routines um 
he focused on other things like his uni work and, and he put a structure in the day. And those things are really helpful because they get your mind off coronavirus and onto the things that um, are more helpful to focus on. And that can help you feel more calm as well. I'll actually echo Robbie's points before in regards to making a bit of a checklist about things that you want to tick off in this time that um, just to kind of keep yourself busy. And one thing that I've, I've kind of started doing is only only listening to the um, the, pref- the press conferences from uh, from the government because I think when you listen to programs like 60 Minutes, A Current Affair, it just really does kind of get you down and you do kind of, if you keep exposing yourself to that kind of media, I kind of feel then you do kind of go down that path of constantly checking for symptoms, looking for reassurance, the Googling and all the media pressure and things like that. Um, I guess moving forward, uh, you've also written another article which discussed kind of a mental health check um, checklist uh, on the Black Dog um, Black Dog Institute website. I was wondering if we could kind of um, go through a few of them, and Robbie as well, if you could kind of um, chime in when you can about um, just kind of a few things for the listeners out there how to maybe deal with what's going on at the moment. Like in Australia, we've never been told that we can't go outside and we can't do the things that we want to do. So it's all very, very um, new to us. But I guess uh, we've just discussed on setting up a, and a routine for to structure for your work day. Um, is there anything in that that kind of can maybe potentially um, help help people? Yeah, so structuring a routine could be very helpful because um, I know even just speaking to friends and myself, like the workday, especially for people who are working from home, can just bleed into the whole of your day and night. Um, and I know some of the research shows that when you work from home, it can interfere with your sleep as well. And I think it's because it's harder to make a boundary between work and home life. And especially for people with young kids at home that are trying to juggle um, taking care of the kids and looking after them as well as work. So um, organising a structural routine can be very helpful. Um, one of the other thing, a couple of other things that can be helpful um, is social connection. So I know there's been a huge amount of media messaging around social distancing, and that can imply that you need to socially isolate. But I think we really need to be careful to to think about this as physical distancing and not social isolation. Um, So one of the things that I've been doing and I've been recommending to other people is just sort of scheduling a call or um, virtual contact with a friend each day. And you need to be proactive about that. You can't sort of just wait for it to happen. You need to actually plan it in. So I've had like virtual wines with friends um, through Zoom, um, had like coffees and phone calls with other friends or colleagues. And that just little bits of social contact can make a big difference, especially when people are feeling really isolated and lonely at home. I just saw Robbie smile a little bit with uh, when you mentioned virtual wine. Yeah, sounds like sounds like Robbie, you've been uh, indulging that a little bit. Um, no, I haven't. I I did the first week, but then um, I did make a deal with my mum that um, no alcohol this week. Um, it just yeah, got a bad routine. Even just having a beer at night time, um, you wouldn't be doing it while I was at training. So good answer. Try and have that same, <laughs> <laughs> same, have, have that same structure. Um, but I think I think for me, um, just know that this is happening. Like I stop thinking about. You know, I wish I was a train. I wish this didn't happen and what the year could look like. No, it is happening. 
and try and turn these little things into positive. So, you know, at the moment I can't go for walks or runs, but, you know, my house is still big enough to go for a walk outside. So, you know, I'm just doing laps of the house with my headphones in, which is probably a different look from the neighbours. But for me, it's um, it's what I need. Um, doing doing a lot of cooking, um, you know, getting to sit down with my family every night and have a meal, you know. These little things that, you know, I didn't do most of the year because I'm away in Sydney. Um, so looking at those as massive wins um, is really helping me. Um, and that exercise each day is, is really important, isn't it? And I know you guys are probably, like, struggling with adapting to the new normal like because you're probably used to training every day, I would assume. But And lots of people are used to going to the gym or going outside and doing boot camp or going to the pool to help them be physically active. But I think it's, you're right. Like, it's around accepting that, that this is happening. I'm not trying to fight it, but also just trying to find creative ways around it to figure out, you know, what things can you do each day to stay physically active? Because exercise and physical activity is going to make a huge difference um, to your mental health. I have noticed that um, a big struggle for us is is really around we have the ability to be surrounded by, you know, 45 uh, athletes every day we've got coaches so there's a lot of motivation um, around us and I think as players we're now in an environment where we have to be really really self-motivated and majority of us um, all are but even when we do have off seasons and we are on our own there are still um, groups of five or six guys that meet up together but now we're being told we can only meet up with one person or we've got a lot of guys who are from country um, if, rural and remote communities so their their expectation is to do a lot of things kind of on their own so it, it's not only a challenge for us but i could imagine the uh the challenge for the broader community that it that it is vitally important that everyone gets outside at least once a day because i personally know what exercise does for me it actually puts me in a much better mood yeah that's that's right and um you know i think when like what you're saying is like normally you've got all these people around you to motivate yourself and do exercise together and train together um and one of the things we can do at the moment is schedule in exercise remotely with friends or colleagues so one of the great things black dog one of my colleagues at black dog has done is organized a daily um, monday to friday just a half an hour exercise where um exercise session so about 30 to 50 of us each day logging on online um, and doing the exercise together and that helps motivate you because you're with other people they're motivating you you can see other people working really hard um and it means that the the pressure is not on yourself to motivate yourself um so people can set up things like that just once a day doing something with other people but remotely using the technology we have available I think there's one thing you've also written is creating a specific place in uh, for your home where you work. Now, my my partner's done actually. Uh, she's working from home at the moment, and she does something uh, every morning. She actually wakes up um, and gets dressed for work, <laughs> which is a, a small little tactic that's kind of helping her kind of mentally get in the zone to start her working day. Um, do you – I have seen over Zoom a lot of people in trackies and things like that, but would you recommend something like that? Um, yeah, it depends. I mean, I know I, I live in a small unit, so I've found it actually quite hard to find a separate place. But on the weekend, I've packed up my stuff to make sure that, like, it's a week, weekend time um, so the computer's not out on the, um, the lounge room. Um, but, yeah, I think so. I've used that as well. So I've 
I was in my exercise gear every day last week, but now I've actually gotten dressed in different clothes because then it sort of gives it gets a separation between work and home. Um, if you can have a separate place that's um, specific to your work, then that can be helpful. But definitely like getting up, getting a routine, um, having a shower, getting dressed out of your pyjamas and not working in your bed is it can be very helpful because otherwise your bed gets associated with being awake and alert and around um, work and then that can interfere with your sleep. And sleep is vital for your mental health as well. Uh, I spoke with Robbie a little bit about this before, but we do have a lot of um, a lot of kids kind of listen to the show, and with uh, I think it's school holidays in some states, and some states are approaching or have just started school holidays. I'm not, I'm not quite sure of the of the timeline, but. That's going to be pretty challenging for for parents, and but more more challenging for the kids because school holidays are going to be, um, you know, that was the time I remember when you're just outside riding bikes, kicking the footy whenever you wanted, and it was real freedom. Like, you know, what what advice or um, I don't know skills can we potentially pass on to to the kids during this? What they would probably think is a pretty strange time. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge question. It's a really good question and we're sort of in uncharted territories to a certain extent at the moment and some of the work that Robbie's been doing on, um, you know, the work you've been doing with Black Dog and the Swans has been great. So some of those skills each day can be helpful. Um, Kids can do mindfulness activities. They can do gratitude activities. um, They can sign up online to, to courses that help them learn those skills. Uh, but the other thing is, like, it's similar to adults, like getting a routine each day, um, making sure you're connecting with friends, um, doing fun things and creative things each day if you can, um, and making sure that you're active. Um, parents can help out with that um, and help keep the focus on the here and now rather than letting them um, be exposed to too much media or watching the news and things like that, which can breed the anxiety. Mm. Going forward with this um, crisis that we're in with, with COVID-19, we're in, we're in isolation. We're going to be spending a fair bit of time um, on our own. We obviously just spoke about Robbie being 14 days in isolation in Tasmania. We don't know when something like this will finish and, and how long the government plans to kind of um, keep these measures in place. So do you, you know, as a, as a, um, a mental health specialist, do you, do you worry about, you know, the potential increase um, in mental health cases throughout our community? I do and I don't. Um, So there's two parts of it, I think. Um, What research shows that from past um, very stressful periods is a few things. Um, One, when we're exposed to trauma um, or very stressful events, the majority of people stay resilient. So about eight in 10 people will experience temporary symptoms like increases in anxiety and stress, but that will ease over time as the threat has passed. So I think that's really important to keep in mind that people are generally resilient. Um, They have skills and coping tools that they can use at the moment to manage this different stress, but it's still stress. The other part of it is I do worry about a few things um, in terms of the mental health of people who are vulnerable. So people with pre-existing conditions, so if you've experienced um, a mental health problem in the past, um, you will be at increased risk of um, your mental health getting worse at the moment, um, especially through isolation and because you might not have the ability to do the things you normally do to help you keep you mentally well. 
Um, so it's really about putting in place a self-care plan now um, and connecting with um, health practitioners that might be able to help you through this difficult time. Um, so there are telehealth options, phone therapy options and online treatments that are available for free right now that you can access for help. So that's the one thing that I think people with pre-existing conditions um, are at increased vulnerability um, to having a tough time right now. Um, and there are other people that are vulnerable to experiencing or getting new cases of depression, anxiety and other problems like substance use problems. So people who have lost their job, um, people who are financially insecure, so um, they might not have lost their job but are very worried about their financial situation, um, they're at increased risk of, of having some tough times with their mental health. Um, and so I think getting help early is probably the main message I'd want to um, be saying right now, that it's not bad to seek help. It's really great. There's some great resources and great um, mental health professionals that are there to help you. So it's just about just putting your hand up and asking for help. There's nothing to be ashamed of if you need to do that. And Robbie, you're living in this isolation at the moment, doing it probably a little bit tougher than um, than probably what we are. You know, I'm allowed to go to, to at least go to the shops and um, do my supermarket and pharmacy things and, and go out for exercise once a day. What would be, you know, one or two things, um, one or two things of advice that you could give? Um, I, th I think you are tough, on If you can make a routine, um, something massive, you know, Monday to Friday, make a routine and then ease up a bit on the weekends. Um, so you still, your weekends are feeling a bit different to um, the weekdays. So uh, I don't know, you know, maybe eight to five um, throughout the days from Monday to Friday, make a routine that you set, set times for work, um, leisure, whatever, lunch, and then the weekends is free. So it actually feels like a weekend. And I think if you break up the weeks, then um, depends how long this lasts for, you know, three months, six months, whatever. It's um, going to, um, if you yeah, keep breaking it down, it's, um, it's going to get through this a lot quicker and a lot better. Um, um, sorry, just quick, sorry. Oh, yes. Quick question okay, with, with you, Jill. Um, if you were looking at signs for someone who, you know, struggles with stress and anxiety, um, what signs would you be looking for to tell if it's stress and anxiety or, you know, it's leading to sort of depression? Um, depression has a few different characteristics than anxiety. So when people feel depressed, um, they feel down, um, sad, have difficulty motivating themselves, um, can have difficulty enjoying things. So things that used to give a sense of enjoyment, they just don't feel the same way about them anymore. Um, sometimes people um, who feel depressed, actually often um, they feel lethargic and really low energy. They might have really negative and self-critical thoughts like around not being good enough, um, feeling hopeless about the future, really negative stuff in their mind um, around themselves and other people in the world. Um, and sometimes they might experience suicidal thoughts. So they thought about um, harming themselves. And those can be together um, collective signs that someone's um, feeling depressed. Now, there are, like Cal was asking before, about what can you do to sort of, um, if you are feeling that way. But also another thing is what can you do to see if you are feeling that way and to check your symptoms. So the Black Dog Institute has um, what's called the online clinic. And that takes you through um, a series of questionnaires 
it's not a diagnosis, but it takes you through some questionnaires and some simple questions to ask you how you're feeling right now or more recently. Um, and that can give you a sense of how severe your symptoms are and whether you're experiencing maybe stress or whether it's um, something like depression or, or illness, anxiety disorder, like we were talking about before. So a simple checklist like that can be very helpful um, to just see if, if what you're experiencing is higher than usual and um, it will direct you towards other types of supports that might help. I've actually got one more question um, based on kind of what Robbie said. Jill, has has mental health, has it increased every year or has it kind of gone um, down? Because I, the way I probably say it is uh, I'd say the awareness continues to get stronger and stronger of what, um, of what mental health is, but um, but I guess – it kind of seems like there are more and more people uh, putting their hands up. So I guess I'd like to kind of know from your end what your view on that is. Oh, I think it's a really complicated um, answer because we, we don't know for sure. Um, I would say there's actually a, it's, it's great and work that you guys are doing is helping reduce the stigma around mental health. So you're right, like more people are putting their hands up and saying, I experienced this. Whereas 10, 20 years ago, there's no way that they would have said that they were experiencing anxiety or depression or another mental health problem like bipolar disorder or psychosis. So in that sense, like there's increased um, awareness, reduced stigma and more people coming in and saying um, that they experience this. In terms of the overall prevalence rates, they're probably staying the same or getting a little bit higher is what I'd say looking at the literature. Um, and suicide rates are quite high, especially in young people and the people that you're um, – the age range that was probably listening to your podcast. So that's pretty concerning. Um, but also we haven't had a big um, national mental health survey. So uh, the last one was in 2007 um, and that was getting a sense of the, the overall mental health and wellbeing of the nation and it's about time we had another one um, to get a sense of whether these prevalence rates are increasing or whether they're staying the same and it's just around reduced stigma. Fantastic. Now that's probably going to come to the end of today's podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I would really want to thank uh, Jill. You've been an absolute rock star and really appreciate your time in coming on the podcast. I know you're very, very busy. I'm sure you've got plenty of uh, academic work that's keeping you busy during this time. Um, but much, uh, much appreciated. But if someone wants to get in touch with the Black Dog Institute um, or they do require services, um, best way to do that? There's the online clinic, so that can help direct you to resources. Um, there is just go to the Black Dog website. That can help you give information around how to manage COVID-19 fears um, and also direct you to other sources of support. And there's a range of other um, organisations that deliver online um, and remote therapy. Um, I won't say them all, but you could go to Beyond Blue, um, This Way Up, Black Dog Institute or Lifeline. Unreal. Jill, once again, thank you for being so uh, kind with your time and being able to um, not only share your perspective on mental health but also helping uh, educate us and the listeners. Robbie, good luck in self-isolation, buddy. Um, what, what, what day is it for you? Day nine. Day nine. So you, uh, you're over the oh, hump, man. mate. You're over the hump, <laughs> mate, and we, uh, we wish you all the best and um, – It'll probably do you some good to not do some running for a while because Jill he uh, he, he tends to annihilate everyone in the uh, in the running. So the slot. So if, he's it, making he's making other people feel better about themselves by not beating them. Exactly right. So you're doing so. a good thing for the community, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs>
guys, thanks very much. That's the end of today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed. Uh, Please like and subscribe on iTunes and enjoy your day. Stay at home. Black Dog Institute has developed mental health tools which can be accessed remotely by anyone experiencing mental health challenges during this time, including Australians undergoing physical isolation or quarantine. If you or someone in your community might benefit from a mental health check-in, take a look at the Black Dog Institute website, blackdoginstitute.org.au forward slash coronavirus anxiety resources, or you can donate to the Black Dog Institute, www.blackdoginstitute.org.au. By supporting Black Dog Institute, you are helping them turn research into action and make a life-changing impact on people with mental illness.